On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla held its quarterly earnings call for Q4 2023. And as always, I've got highlight clips from Elon Musk and the Tesla executive team, as well as analysis of what everything on the call means. Plus, the new Model 3 performance is coming soon and more. Friends, I'm Ryan McCaffrey joining you for episode 443 of Ride the Lightning. It is your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast. This one is publishing on January 28th, 2024. Daisy the Boxer to my left, looking longingly out the window. Zelina the Future Service Dog right here as well. We are down to just two weeks left with Zelina. So trying to trying to just hang on to every moment we've got. Uh, There are plenty of fun moments to talk about from Tesla's earnings call and shareholder letter this week, but a few things to warm up with first, leading off with this. FSD beta version 12 has begun rolling out to some regular customers. Maybe some of you out there have got your hands on it so far. Will we hear more about it on the earnings call? Stay tuned. Now, speaking of that, I Patreon polled all of you earlier this week and asked, what do you most want to hear about on the earnings call? And the results, I thought were pretty interesting this time. FSD beta version 12 was in fact the highest vote getter with 31% of the vote. 30% right there neck and neck with it was an update on 4680 battery cell production. 16% were looking for a Cybertruck production update And then uh, trickling off from there, Model 3 Highland production update, Giga Nevada expansion for Tesla Tesla semi-production, pardon me, update. And I have to say there were uh, a few people that that called this out, but uh, the first one I saw was Andre Morissette, who left a comment saying, Generation 3 car update. That seemed to be the big winner that I'm now wishing I'd put into the poll in the first place this week. So... Stay tuned for that. But first, is the new Model 3 performance going to look a bit more unique compared to the non-performance versions of the Highland, more so than the outgoing Model 3 performance, the one I own, did to its non-performance siblings? And the answer would be, it would appear so. This comes via the kilowatts. My friend Ryan and his crew a spy pick that he posted to X from uh, just a a car out on the roads, an engineering prototype showing the red brake calipers, the wheel in front of those red brake calipers of what looks like maybe there's supposed to be some kind of aero cap on top of it. Now, if the Model 3 Performance, the new one, ends up having an aero hubcap, I would not honestly love that for the performance car because the performance car should get a proper wheel, a proper lightweight wheel, like it always has. And, you know, an aero cap uh, cover would also cover up those beautiful big red calipers. So I'm not looking for that either on the new performance version. So we'll have to see. And the other things that you can see, uh, the primary other thing you can see from this spy pick 
is a different shape to the bottom of the front fascia that's visible at the bottom of the otherwise heavily diapered front end and uh, the rear of it's covered up too. And when I, when I say diaper, you know, it's got those, those black sort of bra covers over the front and rear of the car as the, uh, as the Highlands have been, uh, as for as long as they've been sighted up until their official reveal uh, later last year. Now, if they are putting bucket seats in the new Model 3 performance, which has, it's already been photographed, this mule with bucket seats in it, like racing style bucket seats, and it's got a different front fascia slash diffuser, whatever you want to call it up front there, then I have to say, I'm more convinced than ever that it's going to get under three seconds with its zero to 60 time. Especially, I might add, if the the previous rumor that I'd talked about on the podcast that it's going to be using the Plaid Model S's front motor if is true. If that rumor's true, then that bodes well for an extra quick car, particularly when you're taking these, again, extra couple of aesthetic things into consideration. Although I guess sport bucket seats are not really aesthetic so much as they are for track driving, for keeping your butt in the seat while you're, while you're throwing the car around the track. Now, again, it's, to me, taking these pieces together from these spy picks, there's just no way that Tesla would finally go to the trouble of really differentiating the look of the Model 3 performance without also upping its performance as well. They wouldn't do all that and keep the zero to 60 time at that same 3.1 seconds that it's been at for years. I, and I have to say the more, all these little spy picks, all these little nuggets, I have a feeling that the new Model 3 performance is going to tempt me like no Tesla before it has. And, and in fact, I could already feel the burning sense of desire bubbling up in my brain when I went and sat in the new Model 3 today. I just uh, got a chance to do that today. I'm gonna talk more about that opportunity that I had. I'll talk about that near the end of the podcast after all of the earnings call stuff. But for me, I mean, don't cry for me. It's a, it's a you know, hashtag first world problem. I have to choose between, you know, we, we're in a position, we wanna replace my wife's 19 year old Mini Cooper, but I've gotta choose between the Model 3 Highland Performance, and the Cybertruck. I simply can't get both. That can't do two car payments. Wife's not going to... Even if I could, I don't think the wife would sign off on that anyway, which I don't blame her for. And I have to say, as I... Again, when the Highland is truly revealed and we know what it looks like and we know what it's capable of, I reserve the right to potentially change my mind. But as I sit here now, I have to say that Given my long and and uh, detailed relationship and history with the DeLorean, I think I've got to go stainless, go Cybertruck. But that is, uh, I don't have to necessarily make that decision today, but that is certainly where I'm leaning. Anyway, uh, speaking of the new Model 3 performance, I hope all of you that are kindly backing me at that $10 per month tier on my Patreon enjoyed this week's lightning round mini episode, which was about my 12 item wish list for the new Model 3 performance, inspired by what I was just talking about. I made a list of 12 things that I hope 
that the new Model 3 performance has. So if you'd like to listen to that, you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to my Patreon page found at patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up for that $10 per month tier and you will get access not just to this week's lightning round mini episode, but the other 80 of them in the back catalog, as well as every future one I do each new week for as long as you uh, maintain your pledge. You also get early access to each week's episode if you're at that $10 per month tier. Don't forget, if, I mean, if, if a monthly thing isn't your speed, but you do want to support me, there is an annual option on the Patreon as well. And uh, as a thank you for that, if you do opt for that annual pledge, I will give you 10% uh, of a discount on that annual pledge as a way to say thank you. So again, head on over to my Patreon page. If you've been listening for a while, you feel like, you know what, Ryan? Yes, you have earned my support. I've been listening a long time and I want to hear all that extra great content that you've got on Patreon. You can head on over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. And with that, let's get to it. The shareholder letter, the earnings call. I want to start with the shareholder letter as I usually like to. So the summary at the start of the letter reads in part, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but the couple of choice excerpts state in 2023, we delivered over 1.2 million Model Ys making it the best-selling vehicle of any kind globally. For a long time, many doubted the viability of EVs. Today, the best-selling vehicle on the planet is an EV. And then a later piece reads, We are focused on bringing the next-generation platform to market as quickly as we can, with the plan to start production at Gigafactory Texas. This platform will revolutionize how vehicles are manufactured. So, this is one of those great pullback up to the 10,000 foot view and look at the bigger picture moments that you guys know I like to do. Because if you do that, you realize that 15 years ago, a decade and a half, which in, the, in automotive years is kind of not that long, 15 years ago, Tesla sold a few hundred vehicles in 2008 and then into 2009 as they were getting underway with the original Roadster. In just a decade and a half, they now have the top-selling vehicle on Earth. That is genuinely incredible. I mean, it really is. Whether you're a Tesla fan or not, you've got to acknowledge how incredible that is. Now... As for the next generation car, AKA the Gen 3 car, as I typically like to refer to it, AKA the $25,000 car, as I also sometimes refer to it, and I will use those interchangeably over the course of this episode, we are in fact going to hear a decent bit more about that on the earnings call, so stay tuned for that piece of this episode a little later on. Now, the next chart that I wanted to touch on was one that I do like to look at every month, and that's the growth of Tesla locations and the growth of the mobile service fleet every quarter, as well as the growth of the supercharger stations and individual supercharger connectors every quarter. The growth from last quarter 
to this one, or I should say from Q3 to Q4, because technically this one is Q1 now, but from Q3 to Q4, uh, or actually, pardon me, this is year over year, uh, 25% on the, on the Tesla locations, 21% on the mobile service fleet, 27% growth on the supercharger stations, 29% growth on actual supercharger connectors. But just to take a quick look at the numbers, Tesla locations from last quarter, they added 1,129 of them. In Q4, they added 1,208 more. So that's excellent growth. On the mobile service fleet, which... I have heard from so many of you over the years, and I can add my own experiences to this. Mobile service is awesome. When you can get it, you know, not everything qualifies for it depending on the job, but man, you just can't beat the convenience of having a Tesla service technician, an expert technician come right to you and fix your car without you having to go and drop it off or wait or any of that stuff. They come to you, they take care of it right in your garage, right at your house, driveway, whatever it is, your workplace, and then they're out of there and your car's all good to go. It is just such a wonderful experience. And so there were 1,846 additional uh, additions to the mobile fleet in Q3, 1,909 additions in Q4. Love, love, love to see that. And then on the supercharger stations, like actual locations, we went from 5,595 added in Q3 to 5,952 added in Q4. And the it seems like the stations are getting maybe a bit bigger because this, this discrepancy is you know, a little more. The actual number of connectors, there were 51,105 of them added in Q3. And then 54,892, so uh, almost 4,000 more actual spots to plug in and charge in Q4 over Q3. Uh, you love to see that. And, you know, it's the upward tr trend on that. You know, the fleet's growing, so you do need to keep pace with that, but hopefully Tesla's exceeding pace. That is my hope with this. I don't have enough data to make that determination, but my, my hope is certainly that that is the case. Uh, the next piece of the shareholder letter my favorite chart every quarter, the current installed annual vehicle capacity chart. And it's not really the actual annual vehicle capacity piece of it that I like. It's seeing the, the upcoming vehicles on there and whether or not there's any change in them. And in fact, this chart completely unchanged in every way from last quarter to this quarter. You've got 650,000 total capacity in Fremont between S, 3X, and Y, uh, 950,000 plus capacity in Shanghai for the 3 and the Y, 375,000 annual production capacity for the Y in Berlin, uh, about 250K worth of Model Y in Texas, and roughly 125,000 potential capacity for Cybertruck in Texas, listed as now in production. You know, we got that big change last quarter. And then the the next three, sadly unchanged, in Nevada, you know, listed for the region, you have the Tesla Semi, still listed as pilot production. And then you have in various regions, the next-gen platform listed simply still as in development. And TBD region, Roadster, 
in development. So same everything there. Uh, I will share some more thoughts on the Roadster. Surprise, surprise, I know, right? Later on in, uh, in the episode. Okay, so next, as we move through the shareholder letter, working our way towards the earnings call itself, here's a cool stat, and also what I would interpret to be maybe a word of warning from that same page of the shareholder letter. So, listed for the region of U.S., meaning California, Nevada, and Texas, they, Tesla writes, Before Tesla purchased the Fremont factory, the record output of the previous owner was nearly 430,000 vehicles made in a single year. In 2023, the Tesla Fremont factory produced nearly 560,000 vehicles, thanks to our approximately 20,000 Fremont-based employees. At Gigafactory Texas, we began production of the Cybertruck and delivered the first units to customers. We expect the ramp of Cybertruck to be longer than other models, given its manufacturing complexity. So first, the good news. That is the 560,000 cars out of Fremont last year. Again, simply incredible. They beat the old Numi plant record by a lot, GM and Toyota, the previous joint occupants of the, that facility. And they beat it, Tesla beat them by 30%. That is a lot. And Fremont now being up to about 20,000 employees that's a little bit of a, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but it's a little bit of a, an eye-popping number because the number that had been thrown around for the longest time was 10,000, that there were about 10,000 employees working out of Fremont. So clearly Tesla has been continually growing past that 10K over the last few years to land at that approximate 20,000 mark. In fact, you will hear Elon speak to this specifically on the earnings call when I get to his opening statement in just a couple of minutes. So now the bad news. The, we expect the ramp of Cybertruck to take longer than other models given its manufacturing complexity sentence. This to me likely translates to higher costs for Tesla in these early build trucks. I know that's not rocket science. Elon's talked about that in every early portion of an S-curve. But what I think is maybe fair to extrapolate from that is that my read on this, you've heard me say this before, but this only reinforces my read on it, is that seemingly the foundation series is likely to continue through the entire 2024 model year or the entire reservation list of 2 million plus people whichever comes first. I just think, especially after reading this stuff in the shareholder letter, that Tesla is going to sell a $100,000 plus Cybertruck to anyone and everyone on the reservation list who is willing to pay that much. Uh, next in the shareholder letter, a little note about Shanghai where Tesla writes, Shanghai resumed normal production rate in Q4, rebounding from the scheduled downtime in Q3. That's not so much of what I'm interested in, but instead I'm interested in this. Production of the updated Model 3 ramped to full speed in less than two months. Now I mention this only because that 
number might inform what we can expect about the new Model 3 production ramp here in Fremont. Now we know that Shanghai always tends to go faster than any of Tesla's other factories. So I think it might be best to set your expectations at three months for Fremont to fully get back up to full speed on the new Model 3 production. Okay, now the end of the shareholder letter in the volume outlook section, they write, our company is currently between two major growth waves. The first one began with the global expansion of the Model 3 and Y platform, and the next one we believe will be initiated by the global expansion of the next generation vehicle platform. In 2024, our vehicle volume growth rate may be notably lower than the growth rate achieved in 2023, as our teams work on the launch of the next generation vehicle at Gigafactory Texas. In 2024, the growth rate of deployments and revenue in our energy storage business should outpace the automotive business. And there was another little bit a little later that read, Cybertruck production and deliveries will ramp throughout this year. In addition, we continue to make progress on our next generation platform. So this was probably the one paragraph that caused the stock to tank the next day. Uh, Tesla stock plummeted quite a bit. In fact, it closed for the week, uh, went up 62 cents today, so pretty flat after the big fall on Thursday, closing the week at $183 and 25 cents down from, I believe the day uh, of earnings, it was at 218 or so. So uh, a pretty substantial hit to the stock. And that, that paragraph is probably the, ca the, the primary catalyst for that reaction by Wall Street. But I don't personally care as much about that. I mean, again, I'm not a super investor guy, but I'm also the, the stock that I have is all for long-term retirement. Um, I also just fully believe in the in the fundamentals of this company, is particularly over the long term. So to, to translate a little bit of what Tesla was saying there, they're saying definitely, definitely do not expect 50% year-over-year growth in production and deliveries this year, which is what they've been saying for the last few years that they will probably generally adhere to. They are now absolutely saying, nope. That's not going to be the case this year. Now, will that be the case next year? Also, probably no. But in 2026, yeah. Yeah, it's going to it's probably going to go may, maybe I don't want to say maybe past it, but it's it's probably going to spike up uh year over year growth in 26 and in 27. But for this year particularly, Tesla now guiding, you know, kind of more or less telling everybody, yeah, it's it's not going to be significant 50% year-over-year growth. Now, I mean, I already talked about that after we got the Q4 production and delivery numbers at the beginning of January. Cybertruck, as we've now been straight up told by Tesla, clearly going to be a slow ramp this year. And again, even as you just heard, even the Model 3 will have to ramp back up here in Fremont after that switch over to the Highland. The Model Y thankfully should continue to soar 
production and delivery wise at all four factories ahead of that Project Juniper refresh that we're expecting in the back half of the year. And that refresh should be starting in Shanghai. Uh, although, you know, that's not a guarantee, but that's where all reports have suggested. And that's where, of course, Highland started its, its, uh, its refresh was out of Shanghai. But again, Tesla coming right out and saying that they are hard at work on the Generation 3 car. And honestly, I have to tell you, I'm a bit surprised that they're being that open about the next generation car at this still very early stage. And perhaps they are doing that to try and ward off the fear and uncertainty and doubt from their investors, from Wall Street, that they're probably saying, hey, look, we we are working on this and this is going to be part of a, you know, the catalyst for a huge growth wave for us, but you know, it's, it's, it's a little further out on the horizon. All right. With that, let's uh, get to the earnings call right after this. Ride the Lightning continues to be brought to you in part by my friends at Accelerate Auto and their X-Care extended warranty policy tailored specifically for your Tesla. And by specifically, I don't just mean that they're only offering this for Teslas. I mean that it's tailored specifically for your Tesla in that you don't just have to take Tesla's fixed two-year, 25,000-mile extended coverage option. You can customize a policy with Xcare that works for you. You can go up to 10 more years and up to 125,000 additional miles after your factory 50,000 mile warranty is up. Well, 50,000 miles or four years, whichever comes first. Xcare can also be purchased for any Tesla, no matter where you bought it, whether it was new from Tesla or not. So, like I said, for me, I've got a three-year, 40,000-mile policy for my car. If that sounds good to you or you want to go less or more, head on over to their website, xcelerateaut.com slash xcare. And if you do proceed uh, with a policy purchase, get $100 off that policy purchase by using the discount code LIGHTNING. So again, that's accelerateauto.com slash xcare. They also offer the battery and drivetrain coverage as well, uh, which you can add on to a general policy, or you can just skip the general policy. If you just want to get the warranty, that extended coverage on your battery and drivetrain, you can do that too. So check them out, Accelerate Auto and their xcare policy Discount code LIGHTNING for $100 off. We move to the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. It is my recap and analysis of the Q4 2023 earnings call. I've got a bunch of clips for you. In fact, I believe it's a dozen total clips This time around, there were plenty of good questions. I have to say, uh, kudos to both the retail investors who upvoted some good questions on this one and to the institutional, the institutional analysts, I should say. They asked some pretty good questions this time around as well. I start as always with Elon Musk's opening statement. This is seven minutes long. Take a listen. 
So the, the Tesla team did an incredible job in 2023. Uh, we achieved uh, record production and deliveries of over 1.8 million vehicles uh, in line with our official guidance. Um, and in Q4, we're producing vehicles at an annualized run rate of almost uh, 2 million cars a year. Uh, this was really a phenomenal achievement. Uh, looking at just the, the, the Fremont factory alone, we made 560,000 cars. Uh, this is a record. In fact, it's the highest output of automotive plant in North America. Um, and people are often surprised that the, the highest output uh, factory, car factory in North America is uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's a little counterintuitive, perhaps. Um, and the, it, it's really had a, an incredibly positive impact on that entire area. Um, what would have been a rundown strip mall is the highest productivity car plant in 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 the in the Americas. Think about that. It, it was derelict when we when we got it, and now it's the most productive plant um, in in this in this entire part of the world. Um, and it's enriched the community in in so many different ways. Um, it's uh, it's really a gem. So um, I'm super proud of the people that work there. Model Y became the, the best-selling vehicle globally, uh, as predicted. Um, the best-selling vehicle of any kind, not just electric vehicles, uh, with over 1.2 million units delivered. The energy storage business uh, delivered nearly 15 gigawatt hours of batteries in 2023, compared to 6.5 gigawatt hours the year before. So, um, tremendous year-over-year growth, triple digits. Um, and... Um, I think we'll continue to see very strong growth uh, in, in uh, storage. As, as predicted, I, I said for many years that the storage business would grow much faster than the car business, and it is doing that. Uh, free cash flow remains strong at 4.4 billion in 2023, in spite of uh, record spending on future projects. Uh, so we had record capex expenses as well as record R&D. Uh, this brings us to 2024. There's a lot to look forward to in 2024. Uh, Tesla is currently between two major growth waves. We're focused on making sure that our next growth wave, driven by next-gen vehicle, energy storage, full self-driving, and other projects, is executed as well as possible. Uh, for full self-driving, we've released version 12, which is a complete uh, architectural rewrite compared to prior versions. This is end-to-end uh, -end, uh, artificial intelligence. So another bit nets, basically photons in and controls out. And um, it, it really is uh, quite a profound difference. Um, this is currently just with employees and a, and a few customers, but we will be rolling out to um, all who, all, all those, all, all customers in, in the U.S. who request uh, full self-driving in the weeks to come. Uh, that's uh, over 400,000 vehicles in North America. So this is the first time AI is being used not just for object perception, but for path planning and vehicle controls. Um, we replaced 330,000 lines of C++ code with neural nets. Um, it's really quite remarkable. Um, it, sort of as, as a side note, I, I think Tesla is probably the, mo probably the most efficient company uh, in the world for AI inference. Out of necessity, we've, we've actually had to be extremely good um, at getting the most out of hardware, because hardware three at this point is um, several years old. 
Um, so I don't. I, I think we're we're quite far ahead of any other company in the world um, in terms of um, AI inference efficiency, which is going to be a very important metric in the future and in, in many arenas. So, um, see the the new Model Three is now available globally. So we, we did an updated Model Three. Uh, while the car looks similar, a lot of work has gone into the vehicle to make it better in every way. Um, it is significantly quieter, more refined, better equipped, has longer range, and many other improvements. And I recommend uh, taking it for a test drive. If you have not driven a Model 3 in a long time, uh, you should really try the new one. So steady improvements. And we're very far along on our next generation low-cost vehicle. Uh, this is an earnings call, not a product announcement. <laughs> so. There will no doubt be many questions that try to ask us about new product, uh, new products coming, but, but we reserve product announcements for product announcements, not earning calls. So, but, it, but we're very excited about this, and this is really going to be profound, uh, not just in its design of, of the vehicle itself, but in the design of the manufacturing system. This is a revolutionary manufacturing system, significant, you know, far more advanced than any other automotive manufacturing system in the world, like by, by a significant margin. Um, several years ago, I said that the, the, the uh, perhaps the most important ca competitive characteristic of Tesla in the future will be manufacturing technology. And you will really see that come to bear with our next-gen vehicle. Uh, the first manufacturing location for this will be at our Gigafactory and headquarters in uh, Austin, Texas. And then we'll follow that up with other locations around the world. Probably our, the, the factory we'll build in Mexico will be second. And then we'll be looking to identify a third location, perhaps by the end of this year or early next, um, outside of North America. So, uh, In conclusion, we had a great year with record production, record deliveries, and a strong free cash flow uh, in spite of a very high interest rate environment. Um, and we are focused on exciting new projects that will uh, I think ultimately, um, if we execute on all these things, and it is very hard to do all these things, it's not a, not a sure thing, but I, I do see a path um, where, where Tesla could one day be uh, the most valuable company in the world. Um, I, I do want to emphasize that is not an easy path and a very difficult one, but it is now in the set of possible outcomes. And previously, I would not have thought it is in the set of possible outcomes. So, um, and uh, thank you again to all of our investors, our employees, and our suppliers for a strong year. And looking forward to a great 2024 and years to come. Thank you. Well, I have to say, as a San Francisco Bay Area resident and someone who has had the distinct pleasure of being at the Fremont factory a number of times over the years, I have to say I like the call out about the positive effect that the Fremont factory has had on the surrounding area. It's certainly true that Tesla really put Fremont on the map. I mean, there's, there's no question about that. And by the way, uh, he's not exaggerating there about the factory having been derelict. It was empty for about 18 months before Tesla bought it for a song from Toyota and moved in and started making preparations to manufacture the Model S. I was one of the times that I got to go there that I was lucky enough to get to go was to the open house. I've talked about this before, October 2011. Uh, I got to go in, take a walking tour of the factory 
when they had first moved in and it really was just mostly dark. Like they didn't have lights on in, in the whole thing. Most of it was just darkness and emptiness aside from one tiny little corner of it where they were setting up for the Model S. They had a Model S production line and, an, and a little tiny indoor test track as well. Uh, also, I found it a bit funny that Elon said not to ask them about future products on the earnings call. And then he not only proceeded to immediately talk about the Gen 3 car, but as you're about to hear in the very next clip, that <laughs> there was more talk, more questions and immediate answers about the Generation 3 car. And that's not the only future product that got asked about and Elon didn't hesitate to talk about on this call. Uh, but finally, before I play the next clip about the Generation 3 car, I will add that I 100% believe that Tesla will be the most valuable company in the entire world. I know that take is absolutely shocking coming from a guy who's done a weekly podcast about Tesla for the past eight plus years. But yes, I do absolutely believe that. And we're all witnessing, I say it here and there on this podcast, we are watching history unfold in real time as we follow along with this company, and it's so much fun. Okay, we start with the most upvoted retail shareholder questions. This one was about when can we expect to see the Generation 3 car? I, I mean, I would, I would certainly say, say things with, uh, that should be taken with a grain of salt, um, since I'm often optimistic with, you know, I don't want to blow your minds, but I'm often optimistic regarding time. Um, but our current schedule says that we will start production um, towards the end of 2025, so sometime in the second half. Um, that's just what our current schedule says. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of new technology, like a tremendous amount of new revolutionary manufacturing technology here. Um, the reason um, I want to put the, this, this new um, revolutionary manufacturing line uh, at Giga, Te Giga uh, Texas was because we really need the engineers uh, to be living on the line. This is not, this is not sort of a off-the-shelf, you know, just, just works type of thing. Um, and um, it's just a lot easier for Tesla Engineering uh, to live on the line if it's in, in Austin versus uh, elsewhere. So, um, but, but we're, we are currently expecting to start production second half next year. Um, that, 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 is, that will be a challenging production ramp. Like as a, I can't emphasize, we'll, we'll be sleeping on the line practically. In fact, not practically, we will be. Um, uh, but I, I am confident that once it is going, it will be head and shoulders above any other manufacturing technology that exists anywhere in the world. It's next level. So uh, it's always difficult to predict what that S curve of manufacturing looks like. So it always starts off real slow and then it grows exponentially. Um, so, uh, and, and predicting that intermediate S curve is, is difficult, but you know, I, so I, I, I don't know, it's hard to say what the unit volume would be next year. We're not gonna make any predictions on that front, but it does seem quite likely that we will start production next year. So here you go. As I said, an immediate question and answer about Tesla's next generation car, which by the way, I will add that Reuters, 
who you'll remember broke the existence of both the Model 3 Highland and the Model Y Juniper projects, reports that the Generation 3 car is codenamed Redwood and will be, as I honestly expected, a compact crossover. And as you just heard Elon said, he just straight up said, he told us that the plan is for it to go into production late next year, late 2025. Now, as I've said before, I really, really think with this car specifically, well, all cars, but especially this car, that Tesla should resist any and all temptations to officially announce, show, reveal, and begin taking reservations on this vehicle until the absolute last minute. Meaning until they basically have to start building test units to take out onto the road. That they just they need to wait until the last possible second to reveal and and announce this thing and start taking deposits. You do not want to risk Osborning the Model 3 and or the Model Y for that matter. I know there's going to be a price delta here, but still, you also don't want to create a huge long wait for this thing like what's happened in the past with the S, the SX, and more recently, the Cybertruck. And I know, yes, the pandemic and the supply chain situation was part of the out of out of Tesla's control reason that the Cybertruck wait ended up being so long. But I think my, you see my greater point here. So I would love to see the Gen 3 car announced no more than a year before the start of production and ideally less. Now, also, given that the Generation 3 car is clearly Tesla's top priority, clearly, and, and by the way, understandably so, here comes my quarterly Roadster rant, I guess. It, it is kind of a quarterly tradition at this point when it doesn't get mentioned at all, and then I, I get upset about it. I get bummed out about it. So I think it is sadly at this point pretty safe to say that Elon's previous timeline update, which he gave us back at the annual shareholder meeting last May, I believe it was, that the, the timeline update that he gave then on the next-gen Roadster, which, by the way, he said that if all went well, it could go into production late this year, meaning late 2024, sadly, probably not happening. Thus, if the $25,000 Generation 3 Tesla stays on schedule and does go into production late next year, I think it almost certainly means that the next-gen Roadster is not going to come out until at least 2026. And at that point, there's a reasonable chance that a full decade, I cannot believe I'm saying this, a full decade could go by between the next-gen Roadster's unveiling in 2017 and the first deliveries to paying customers, some of which will have had fifty dollars or $250,000 deposits in Tesla's hands for a decade. That is almost unfathomable. I mean, it's crazy to think about that. Now, do I hope to heck that I'm totally wrong and that Elon's Roadster timeline from last year is still accurate? which would mean that the Roadster will in fact get done and go into production before the Gen 3 car? Yes, yes, I would love nothing more than for that to be the case. But the reality is that if Roadster is happening before the $25,000 car, and again, I just don't, everything Tesla's said and done suggests that's not gonna happen. The, the Gen 3 car is 
so vital to the growth of the company and the future of the company. And again, I understand it. Like I, I, there's not, I'm not opposed to it. Like I get it. I mean, I, I think at some point Tesla does just have to bite the bullet and devote the design engineering and then manufacturing resources to getting the Roadster out after having announced it in 2017. But I totally get that the Gen 3 car is effectively the final step for Tesla to reach the goal that Elon laid out in his not-so-secret master plan in 2006. Now, the Model 3 was supposed to be the achievement of that goal, but it arguably hasn't been. It's a great car, do not get me wrong, but in terms of accomplishing the company's big goal of making gas cars just be a crappy choice based on financial merits, just like make it a no-brainer that you're going to choose an EV over an internal combustion engine vehicle. That's the Gen 3 car. That is where we have we have gotten, you know, with, we've needed battery technology to advance and those costs to come down and all of Tesla's manufacturing advances, all this stuff. So I get the importance of the Gen 3 car, but man, oh man, is it a bummer to just see the Roadster be completely ignored, just completely and totally ignored. Um, Do I have every confidence that when the day finally comes that it's going to be an amazing supercar? Yes. When that day finally comes, it's going to be glorious. It is going to be a beautiful car. If it's, I mean... Is it, is it going to look like that 2017 prototype? Probably not exactly, because if the Roadster had come out in 2020, which is what Tesla originally said, then by the time 2026 or 2027 rolls around, which is, again, when this car might actually come out, it would have been getting like a, a mid-gen refresh or a, or a redesign, right? It would have been getting a design update so I, I'm sure that's going to happen. It's just that the car never came out. Like, I, I guess what I, the long-winded way it's, of what I'm trying to say is, uh, the, or I should say the short version of what I'm trying to say is that I don't think the 2017 prototype is going to be the look that goes into production. Might it be close to that? Yes, but I do think it'll be a clearly evolved version of that design. But anyway, yeah, we're looking at, possibly a decade between the unveiling and, and the actual first deliveries of the Roadster. So, uh, but I think that the final point, what I, I got so far off my notes here, just again, doing my Roadster rant thing that I, I get super passionate about this topic. I, I, you can't blame me, but anyway, um, if the Roadster were to be happening late this year or early next year before the Gen 3 car, The reality is that we would need to see tangible progress on that car in the next six to nine months. Because remember that Cybertruck prototypes, alpha prototypes, started showing up publicly many, many months before production actually began. Now, could Tesla keep it all secret, all internal with the Roadster because it's going to be this low volume thing? Yeah, technically they could. But some way, somehow, there's going to have to be some movement that we're privy to. If we're not literally seeing the car, we're going to be hearing about it. There are going to be rumors, leaks, all kinds. There's going to be 
smoke behind, you know, if, if there's going to, if there's a fire, there's going to be smoke that we're going to be, we're going to be seeing if that car is coming out when Elon said at the shareholder meeting, if it's going to be late this year or sometime next. So anyway, um, sadly, as I said on my new year's prediction show, I just can't honestly say that I'm particularly optimistic about the timeline of the next-gen Roadster. Anyway, enough of me obsessing over that. Let's get to our quarterly upvoted question. This this gets upvoted every single quarter, and I'm happy that it does, about the progress of the 4680 battery cell production ramp. The question answered here by none other than Tesla's battery guru, Drew Baglino, with a little bit in there from Elon as well. Yeah, first, I just want to allay any concerns regarding 4680 limiting the Cybertruck ramp because I've seen some people commenting about that. To date, 4680 production is ahead of the ramp uh, with actually weeks of finished cell inventory. And the goal is to keep it that way, not only for cyber, but for our, our future vehicle programs. And as Elon said, it is an S-curve here, too. Like, it's it's hard to, to predict these things, but the, I'm just describing our goals. Um, it's, it's a hard problem. Like, yeah, <laughs> there, there are entire companies where all they do is make battery cells. That's like the, all they do. Indeed, okay. indeed. <laughs> we do a lot of other things, um, and and we got a lot of we got a lot of you know um, breakthrough technologies um, that that take time to figure out with forty six. It's not just that it's a forty six millimeter diameter by eighty millimeter tall cell. That that's just the diameter. That's just the dimensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of new technology in the cell itself and manufacturing technology. And, yes, exactly. Um, and just regarding what the team was able to do in Q4, uh, Texas successfully swapped line one from the Model Y design of the cell to the Cybertruck design of the cell, which was that 10% cell energy increase I've mentioned before. And as with any major new product introduction, the factory and engineering teams collaborated to ensure quality of the new design and the process changes as their first priority. And now our f- focus returns to cost and production ramp in Q1. Um, and... Uh, in terms of what we're doing, we're currently running one production line, one assembly line, uh, using two assembly lines in addition for yield and rate improvement trials. And we have a fourth in commissioning and four more will be installed uh, starting in Q3 this year. So definitely this is a, a big year for ramping 4680. Uh, but we also do want to emphasize that we can we also expect to ramp orders from our suppliers. Yep. So this is not about replacing our suppliers. It's about supplementing our suppliers. Yes. Um, so we... Um, are very appreciative of, uh, of our suppliers. Uh, you know, Panasonic obviously is our, our longest uh, supplier. They're an amazing company. Um, you know, we've, we, uh, we've got um, CATL, we've got uh, LG, uh, you know, and, and BYD. Well, I won't lie, this is reassuring because there had been a lot of admittedly unsourced concern in the Tesla community about the apparent slow ramp on the 4680 cells. So I was glad to hear Drew just firmly refute those rumors. Side note, while I think the Cybertruck is truly an amazing product that definitely no other company would dare to try and build, and I say that while recognizing that, yes, the range and price are both a bit disappointing, I do wonder if Tesla has Model X'd this thing a little bit. Now, what I mean by that is, because the Model X is an amazing vehicle too, but what I mean by that, and this is something Elon has spoken about before, is that Tesla went way past where they needed to with the Cybertruck. 
further complicating what, if you remember, was supposed to be a cheap truck to build because it was going to be so simple to build. No paint, origami folded stainless, battery, boom, you're done. But they went with the 48-volt architecture, the Etherloop data communication, the steer-by-wire. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, I'm thrilled that they did. It's honestly, those advanced technologies in the Cybertruck have made it even more exciting to me. And honestly, not just exciting, they've made me want the Cybertruck even more. But I do think it's maybe fair to wonder if if Elon's repeating a mistake a little bit, you know, because he said that he never wanted to go through the Model X experience ever again. And again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing here. I'm just observing. Like, I, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not casting judgment because certainly there are great reasons for Tesla to have pushed these technologies further. The, you know, with the, with the 48 volt system and less wiring, less copper having all, you know, there's so many great reasons. So I'm not trying to criticize here, but I think it is a reasonable observation to point out that, oh yeah, I wonder if they ended up kind of going maybe a little too far on the Model X. I mean, excuse me, on the Cybertruck like they did with the Model X. All right, next up, one of the elephants in the room coming into this phone call was what was Elon talking about when he recently tweeted that he wasn't interested in developing AI at Tesla unless he could get more control of the company? Here's Elon speaking directly to that. Yeah, I guess let me explain why what, what my my concern is here, which is that um, you know I, I, I see a path to creating um, an artificial intelligence and robotics juggernaut of truly immense uh, capability and power. Um, and my concern would be, I don't want to control it, but if I have so little influence uh, over the company at that stage that um, I could sort of be voted out by some sort of random shareholder advisory firm. Um, you know, we've had a lot of challenges with uh, institutional shareholder services, uh, ISS, I call them ISIS, um, <laughs> um, and Glass-Lewis, uh, you know, which, which there's a lot of activists that basically infiltrate those organizations and have, you know, strange ideas about what should be done. So, um, you know, so I want, I want to have an, enough to be influential. I, like if we could do a dual, dual class stock, that would be ideal. I'm not looking for additional economics. Um, I just want to be an effective steward of very powerful technology. Um, and um, the reason I just sort of roughly picked approximately 25% was that, that that's, that's not so much that I can, can control the company, even if I go bonkers. Um, and if I'm like mad, they can throw me out. But I, but it's enough that uh, I have a strong influence. That's what that's what I'm aiming for is a strong influence, but not control. Um, there's some way to achieve that. That would be great. I understand and respect that perspectives on this particular issue are going to be across the board, and and I don't think either side in quotes is right or wrong. Some might believe that Elon is absolutely entitled to more, that his leadership has built this company into what it is, which is an absolute unicorn 
that has succeeded against quite literally all odds. And then others are going to say that he's already the richest man in the world and that he'd have plenty more shares if he hadn't sold a bunch of them to buy Twitter. So again, I, there's there's merit to both arguments there. I'm, I don't think anybody's all right or all wrong. I don't think there's a, it's not a, a black or white, you know, scenario here. So we'll see how this one shakes out in the coming weeks and months. Next up, a question about progress on the expansion of Giga Nevada for the Tesla Semi, as well as an update on the construction of Giga Mexico. And I have to say, this answer surprised me a bit. Take a listen. Um, we have recently broken ground for the next phase of Giga Nevada uh, expansion to incorporate Semi and other projects. Um, but as said earlier, as regarding Mexico, we want to first demonstrate success with the next generation platform in Austin before we start construction. Therefore, we have started the long lead work to get the basics ready and plan to follow our recipe from the 3Y ramp yeah. with Shanghai, where we started with learnings from Fremont and ramped really quickly. Yeah, exactly. It's important to emphasize that, uh, I mean, Model 3 production was was three years of hell, honestly, before some of the, three of the worst years of my life, frankly. Uh, I still have mental scar tissue. From that, from those three years, as do many. Uh, yeah. um, but then, and then, Model Y was, um, you know, somewhat of a variant on Model Three, so much a much easier situation. And then we were able to actually do an improved, slightly improved versions of, in some cases, significantly improved versions of the Model Y uh, production line in Shanghai and Berlin. Um, and you know, that's 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 the right. I think that's the sensible way to go about things. Is is um, kind of, you know. Um, figure out the core, the core technology of the manufacturing line and then replicate it with improvements uh, throughout the world. Well, in a stunning reversal, Tesla, the company known for putting up factories faster than any other big corporation, including manufacturers, is now purposely slow rolling the construction of Giga Mexico. But the explanation makes sense, right? They want to wait until they can learn from version 1.0 of the Gen 3 production line in Giga Texas and then use Mexico to move to version 1.1 or maybe 1.5 or heck, maybe even version 2.0. So presumably Mexico is going to build cars for North America whenever they do get that factory done. That's a guess. I could be wrong. But I say that because with the volumes that Tesla's talking about, which as a reminder is three to five million Gen 3 cars per year, once it's fully ramped up at all factories that are going to build it, one factory is not going to be enough to supply the U.S. demand alone, much like how Fremont factory alone is not enough to fill every Model Y order in the U.S. They needed Texas to supplement it. So I I have to think that Giga Mexico is going to primarily be supplying U.S. or North American orders since they'll be, you know, they're a a trading partner with the U.S. and all of the tax credits should apply from a built-in Mexico Tesla, I do believe. All right, next question's a good one about whether or not anyone has picked up the phone to ask Tesla about licensing their FSD. You know, I, I I really think lots of car companies should be asking for FSD licenses, but um, and we've had we've had some tentative conversations, but 
I think they don't believe it's real quite yet. Um, I think that that will become obvious probably this year. Um, and I do want to emphasize that if, if I were CEO of another car company, I would definitely be calling Tesla and asking to license um, Tesla full self-driving technology. It's a, definitely the smart move. Well, can any of us really say that we're surprised that no one else has had serious conversations with Tesla about this? Because the stubbornness of the legacy automakers has cost them years of EV progress and probably also billions of both present day and future dollars. Now, in some of their cases, it sadly may even prove to cost them their very existence. That remains to be seen, but... I have to say, I'm just not the least bit surprised that none of them are giving serious consideration to Tesla's autonomous driving system. Though it is certainly true, in fairness, it is certainly true that it's not all the way there yet. But if you're the head of another major automaker, you've got to be planning for the future. You've got to be looking ahead and seeing where Tesla is going with this. I mean, it, the reality is, if the rest of the industry allows Tesla to be the first to the finish line on this by a mile, and by first to the finish line, I mean, you know, not starting to make plans to license it now. Like if they get caught flat footed and Tesla comes to market first with this, because even if let's say if Tesla gets really good autonomous driving, I don't know what level it's going to be, but like really game-changing autonomy to market. Even if the day that happens, and it's like, whoa, it's totally works, it's incredible. If that's the day that another automaker picks up the phone, it's still gonna take, heck, not months, it's gonna take a, an amount of time measured in years, whether that's one year, two years, for, for that licensed system to get into another manufacturer's car. So... I just think you've got to, if you're heading up a legacy automaker, you've got to be doing a better job of planning for the future. You've got to be talking to Tesla about this. Even if you're not ready to license it right now, you've got to be laying the groundwork for this. Anyway, uh, the next question is a good one, another good one, about Optimus and when we might be able to buy one. Optimus obviously is a is a, a very new product, um, an extremely revolutionary product, um, and something that I think has the potential to you know, the potential to far exceed the value of, of everything else that Tesla combined. Um, and when you think of an economy, economy is productivity per capita times capita. But what if there's no limit to capita? There's no limit to the economy. Um, and and the, the technologies that we've, the AI technologies we've developed for the car translate quite well to a humanoid robot because the car is just a robot on four wheels. You know, Tesla is arguably already the biggest robot maker in the world. It's just a four-wheeled robot. So Optimus is a you know, robot with, a humanoid robot with arms and legs. Um, it's by far the most sophisticated humanoid robot that's being developed anywhere in the world. Um, I, I think we've got a, a good chance of shipping some number of Optimus units next year. 
Um, but like I said, this, this, this is a, a brand new product. A lot of uncertainty is when you have, when there's a lot of uncertainty in your uncharted territory, it's obviously impossible to make a precise prediction. Um, but we will be updating the public with progress on Optimus uh, in every few months. And you can see that the it's advancing very quickly. Um, I was just in the Optimus uh, lab actually uh, until late last night. I think it's like midnight or something. <laughs> and finally left the Optimus lab. Um, the team's doing amazing work. Um, you now that's obviously a case where we want to make sure that uh, Optimus is is safe, especially at scale. Um, and that there's no, it, it should be impossible for any centralized control to upload um, malware <laughs> to a humanoid robot. Um, so we're, we're going to want to build in um, lo localized shutoff that cannot be updated from the uh, from from a central server. Um, that that's a case where we really have to give extreme thought to safety. Um, but uh, like I said, I, I I do think it has the potential to be the most valuable most valuable product of any kind ever, by far. Just to comment on the barrier, I think the barrier, and we've talked about this, is like getting it to actually do something useful. Like, like we can get it to walk around, we can get it to do things, but it's like that utility part. We can already do some useful things. But like, you know, yeah. to making millions of these things, it's like utility. Got to get the utility up. Yeah. A, a smart robot that can do that's capable of doing generalized tasks is what it will be. Yeah. Um, and in, in terms of doing, you know, moderately specialized tasks, well, it can already do that. And it'll just get better through through the course of the year. As we improve the, the technology in the car, we improve the technology in Optimus at the same time. It runs the same uh, AI inference computer that's on the car. Same training tech technology. Um, I mean, we're really building the future. The, I mean, the, the Optimus lab uh, looks like the set of Westworld. But admittedly, that was not a super utopian situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the best reference. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, the creators of Westworld, um, uh, John Nolan, uh, Lisa John Nolan, uh, friends, uh, old friends of mine actually, and uh, I invited them to come see the lab. I think they'll come see it hopefully soon. Um, it's, it's it's pretty wild, especially the, the sort of subsystem test stands where you've just got like one leg on a test stand just doing repetitive exercises and one arm on a test stand it's pretty wild um, yeah we're not entering westworld anytime soon <laughs> right right well, you know, can't take safety very very seriously Number one, it sounds like we need a video from the Tesla content team of the Optimus Lab looking like an episode of Westworld. We all need to see that video. Number two, 
I'm gonna be extremely curious what Optimus is capable of doing when it does ship to consumers. Like, it's gotta have set tasks that it's trained for out of the box, right? Like washing dishes, loading or unloading the dishwasher, mowing the lawn, vacuuming, sweeping, stuff like that. And I presume that it's going to get free over-the-air software updates that add new task capabilities and functionality to it, just like the cars, right? And remember that the first-generation Optimus bots are going to be like $20,000 So um, while there are going to be plenty of people out there that get one and enjoy one, I... I will probably almost certainly need to wait for the hopefully cheaper second gen version. Kind of like I had to wait for the Model 3 because I couldn't afford the fantastic SNX. But it does indeed have incredible potential to be amazing. There's no question about that with Optimus, especially if you've been watching the progress updates that Tesla's been giving on Optimus so far. The next question, another good one. Shout out to those retail shareholders who are upvoting some great questions about how many Cybertruck orders there are in the queue. Um, First of all, I want to thank all the Cybertruck reservation holders for their patience. Um, The the reservation to order conversion rate so far has been very, very encouraging. Uh, If the trend continues, as very likely to be, um, we will soon sort out all the bills in 2024. Um, and also, you know, we have a new orders come in after the launch. Um, the order numbers keep growing. So we're now all hands on deck, focused on ramping um, so we can, you know, fulfill all the demands in a reduced wait time. Yeah, it's important to emphasize that um, this is very much a production constrained situation, mm-hmm. not a demand constrained situation. Um, and we, you know, obviously, we, we, like, we could dramatically raise the price, but that, that doesn't feel right to us to sort of get, get you know, gouge people for. Uh, you know, before early, early delivery. Um, so, um, but but really, the demand is off the hook. Um, as long as the as long as we the the, the price is affordable. Um, I mean, I, I I see us ultimately delivering on the order of a quarter million, something like a quarter million uh, cyber trucks a year uh, in in North America, but maybe more, but give or take, you know, r- roughly on that on that. Uh, Time frame and um, it's uh, I mean it's a it's it sure is a, um, a head turner, you know. Definitely is. Yeah. Anywhere you go, people look at you. Yeah. They give you thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, like finally the the future looks like the future. Yep. You know, it just it, it just a, um, you know, for for the other trucks on the road there, which and there's some very good trucks on the road, but if you were to switch out the brand name, you wouldn't hardly know who which company made them. But you definitely would know the Cybertruck. That's our best. That's our best product ever. I have to say that I laughed a little bit when Elon talked about not wanting to raise the price of the Cybertruck because they don't want to gouge people. I mean, let's be honest. The Foundation series is a little bit of gouging already. I'm not saying that it doesn't have value, but the fact of the matter is that the only way to get a Cybertruck in what looks like the entire first year. Note what was said about the first year of production almost selling out. It sure, again, does seem like my theory that all of the 2024 model year is going to be Foundation Series. But the only way to get the Cybertruck in possibly the entire first year of production is to pay six figures for it. 
a 25% premium on the actual MSRP if you're comparing the dual motor version uh, from base to you know MSRP to foundation series. Anyway, uh, I will note that Elon once again gave the same 250,000 per year maximum run rate figure for the Cybertruck that he's been giving. He's been asked that multiple times starting the first time he got asked it was by me back at Battery Day in 2020. So what that tells me is him continuing to give that 250K number here in 2024 is that Tesla probably hasn't seen anything in the reservation numbers to make them back down off of that 250K or increase it either. But, you know, then again, as friend and listener Emmett Peppers uh, pointed out when we traded notes about this on X, it is entirely possible that as the Cybertruck price comes down over time, inevitably, that demand will go up past 250,000 units per year, much as we saw with the Model Y, where the price came down and they just kept building more and more and more of them each year. All right, next up, the final upvoted retail shareholder question, and it's another good one, and it is, what are the preliminary results of the advertising tests that Tesla has been running online? Um, As you mentioned, the ultimate solution to increase EV adoption is really address the affordability issue. Um, but at the same time, we do aware um, there's awareness issue um, as well. So in Q4, we ran a series of um, digital campaigns, very targeted digital campaigns um, across different geos and different channel. Um, the target of these tests is really just to drive awareness um, and ultimately they measure the return of investment um, on those digital channels. Um, and the messaging we're driving is really focused on our product um, and also um, try to address some of the uh, misconception of the EV, um, such as safety, affordability. Um, in one particular awareness campaign we run uh, in Texas, we reached the audience about 10 million um, unique viewers and um, um, generated close to half a million visits to our <clears throat> website. Um, a large number of these viewers are first-time visitors to our site. Um, the traffic through these digital channels um, actually behaved very similar to those organic traffic come to our web- website. Um, so going forward, we're just going to uh, keep exploring um, different channels and doing our trials um, to get a better understanding of this di- effectiveness of this digital campaign. Yeah, but I would also <clears throat> like to caution that we'll be very careful that we don't want to overspend on this side. We want to make sure people are aware, but we'll, that's where we'll keep tweaking our, method, our methodology about how and where we spend the money, because we understand the importance of increasing awareness, but at the same token, we don't want to spend a lot of money on just creating awareness. Yeah, I mean, there are some geographies where our market share is remarkably low, like Japan, for example, um, now, we obviously need to make sure that we have superchargers in the right locations and the, the service centers are there and um, the, the product works well in Japan. But Japan is the third largest uh, car market in the world um, of any country. So, um, and uh, we should at least have a market share proportionate to, say, um, other non-Japanese car makers like Mercedes or BMW, which we do not currently have. So I think that's the case. And I've t- when I talk to friends of mine in Japan, they're like, 
the, the lack of, there is like quite a lack of awareness of Tesla. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's a case where we, we definitely need to uh, increase awareness uh, in uh, countries and regions where uh, there, there is, uh, yeah, uh, not, not that much awareness. I wonder if part of the reason that Tesla has lower market share than they feel like they should in Japan is because of the size of the Teslas. All four, well, now five, but Cybertruck's never going to be sold over there. All four uh, of the other Teslas are fairly large. And I know that generally speaking, I've never been there, to be to be clear, but my understanding is that generally cars in Japan tend to be a bit smaller overall than what we're used to in America. I wonder if it's also maybe some home country pride in there too, like that the just American companies don't fare as well in Japan. And I mean, heck, I, I, I can say that with a bit of experience in the fact that in my day job in the video game space, that Japan has pretty soundly rejected the Xbox video game console from day one while Sony's PlayStation and Nintendo's Switch do great over there. But anyway, on to the analyst questions next. The first one is a good one. Given the progress that we've seen on Optimus this year, will we get another AI day anytime soon? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> we, we have found that when we do these AI days, some of our competitors literally look at what we do on a frame-by-frame -frame basis. Uh, they do, and, and, and then we find these things being copied. Same thing with battery day. Same thing with battery day. Yeah. Um, so we have to be a little cautious about, uh, you know, revealing the exact recipe of the secret sauce. Um, but um, I think some kind of update would be good to do. Um, I'll talk it over with the team, and um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we might do something later this year. Um, I'm, I'm in go with the, these AI day things is recruiting. So, yes. And to, to sort of change the perception of Tesla as people think of Tesla as a car company when they should be thinking of Tesla as an AI robotics company. Personally, and maybe I'm a little biased because the cars are what I care about the most, and that's what this podcast is about. But I still think Tesla is very much perceived as a car company by the greater public. But that will slowly change as the energy side of the business continues to outpace the growth of the automotive side and as Optimus becomes more real as well. So I'm glad to hear that there might be another battery day this year. Both AI days previously have been in September, so we'll see if Tesla sticks to that cadence for 2024. The annual shareholders meeting, I believe, will be in May again. And there, I don't know if there will be an investor day this year. It was in March, I believe, last year. So uh, we'll see about that. September could end up making sense if those other two uh, events land in the same places that they landed last year. Okay, next up, I've got uh, two more. Yeah, one, one, two more to go for you here. The next one is another excellent question about whether or not the Cybertruck is simply a proving ground for technology for the Generation Three car. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that anything on Cybertruck should be considered dating for the next-gen platform. We're obviously doing a lot of manufacturing innovation, as Elon said, for a next-generation vehicle. You know, when you do something at that scale, you have to prove it out. You don't just throw it on the line and just build it. So we're going through those validation phases um, for all of those new manufacturing technologies now. 
Um, sure, 48 volt was definitely something we wanted to carry forward. Um, you know, and it's something we hope the industry adopts as well. We're also open to partnering yeah, on, on that if everyone wants to do that. Finally, man, the people that really know that what, this is like the inside baseball thing, but it, man, 48, it's so high time that the water industry moved from 12, the random number of 12 to 48. Random number of 48. Yeah, well, it's much less random. Slightly less random based on human uh, injury. but um, I mean, dramatically reduces the amount of copper you need in the vehicle. And, um, you know, and also moving, moving to a sort of high, higher bandwidth communications, um, sort of Ethernet uh, you know, level communications versus CAN bus, uh, which is pretty, pretty slow. Pretty slow. Um, so it's really just bringing cars to, you know, to the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So, so, so like certainly like it's, not exactly, it's like normal for a laptop. You know? Yeah. Certainly bringing that like, you know, is, is an evolution in our in our architectures of vehicles, but it's not gating by any means. The gating work is just to finish the design and manufacturing of the car, test them out and get them, get them going. Yeah. Right. And programs in execution mode, right? Yep. Right. So it's, ta- it's ta- talking about like tooling lead time, uh, manufacturing factory lead, time, lead yeah. time, factory lead time and executing those programs. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of specialized mach- machines that make the machine yep. for a next gen vehicle. So, uh, these are not machines you can just order from anyone. Mm-hmm. They actually, you have to design a machine that has never existed to build a car in a way that has never existed. Um, yeah, so you don't just have like a design validation phase, but you have an equipment design validation yeah. phase as well. It does make it very hard to copy us because you have to copy the machine that makes the machine that makes the machine. <laughs> so, Talk about tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, you know, exactly, manufacturing exception. Um, so, you know, I do think it's, a, it's quite a, a powerful sustainable advantage. Because um, there just is no place to go to order the machines that make the ne- next-gen car that don't exist. I mean, given the volumes that Tesla intends to build the Generation 3 car at, I think it's a no-brainer that that Gen 3 car is going to be 48 volt. Save all the copper you can, save all the wire you can. Steer-by-wire might be an iffier proposition on that one. I don't know if they'll do that for a $5 million per year car, but... I do have to say I I might respectfully disagree that the Cybertruck isn't a proving ground for the Generation 3 car. I mean, I think that Lars can't say that or else it gets interpreted the wrong way. But the Cybertruck can do everything it's trying to do and also be a proving ground for technology that they're going to use in the $25,000 car, right? I mean, I think that's fair. One more clip for you. And it is about the status of the Dojo chip project. I mean, the, the AI hardware question is, that, that is a deep one. Um, so we're obviously hedging our bets here with uh, significant orders of NVIDIA uh, GPUs. Or GPUs are the wrong word. There really needs to be, there's no, gra- it doesn't, it doesn't, you can't like produce graphics, <laughs> so that's what sort of graphic processing unit, neural neural net processing unit, or something like that. In um, yeah, GPU is a funny funny word, like um, vestigial. Um, so, um, and, and a lot of our progress in self driving is training limited. Um, something that's important with with training, it's much like a human. The, the more effort you put into training, the less effort you need in inference. So just like a, a person, if you 
if you train in a subject, you know, it's sort of classic 10,000 hours, uh, the, the less mental effort it takes to do something. If you, if you remember when you first started to drive, how much of, of your mental capacity it took to drive, it was, you had to be focused completely on driving. Then after you've been driving for many years, uh, it, it only takes a little bit of your mind to drive and you can think about other things and still drive safely. Um, so the more training you do, the more efficient it is at the inference level. So we do need a lot of training. Um, and um, and we're, we're pursuing the dual path of NVIDIA and Dojo. Um, but I, I would you know, think of Dojo as a long shot. Um, it's a long shot worth taking because the payoff is potentially very high, uh, but it's not something that is uh, a high probability. It's, it's not like a sure thing at all. Um, it's a higher risk, high payoff uh, program. Um, but Dojo is working and it is, it is doing training jobs. So, and we're scaling it up. And we have plans for Dojo 1.5, Dojo 2, Dojo 3, and whatnot. So, you know, I think it's, it's got potential, um, but I can't emphasize enough, high risk, high payoff. So I think this, it still makes sense given the, you know, even, even if it's a low, low probability of success for the very high, yeah, I think anyway, <laughs> I'm belaboring the subject. It, it's, it's a very interesting program. It, ha, it, is a, you know, it has the potential for, for something special. Um, there's also our inference hardware in the car, so we're um, we're now on um, what's called hardware four, but it's actually version two of the Tesla designed uh, AI inference chip, um, and we're about to complete design of so the terminology is a bit confusing. <laughs> we're about to complete design of hardware five, which is actually version three of the Tesla designed chip because the uh, Version one was Mobileye, version two was NVIDIA, and then version three was was, was Tesla. So, uh, and, and we're making gigantic improvements with um, from one from hardware three to four to five. Um, I mean, there's a potentially interesting play uh, where when cars are not in use in the future that the in-car computer um, can do generalized uh, AI tasks, can, can run a sort of, you know, GPT-4 or 3 or something like that. Um, you know, if you've got tens of millions of vehicles out there, uh, even in a robo-taxi scenario where they're in heavy use, maybe they're used 50 out of 168 hours, that still leaves you know, well over 100 hours of time available, of, of, of compute hours. It, it, like, it's possible um, with the right architectural decisions that Tesla may in the future have more com compute than everyone else combined. This might be a stretch, but I wonder if just maybe the Generation 3 cars are all going to ship with Hardware 5, and if Hardware 5 will actually be capable of more than Hardware 3 is today. And I'm not talking about 
just on a computational level. I'm talking about that computational advantage allowing the car to actually do things, to do to have functionality that the current hardware three equipped cars just cannot do. I mean, Elon talked about there how old hardware three is, and the Gen 3 car is presumably going to be the robo-taxi. If you remember from Walter Isaacson's uh, biography on Elon, that the intention is that when the robo-taxi is actually ready in, in uh, a regulatory sense as much as anything else, that Franz had designed the Gen 3 car so that they could basically just remove the steering wheel and, and go and, and put the robo-taxis out there. Now, the original plan for the robo-taxi, as we all know, was the Model 3, but that timeline just hasn't quite worked out. So if every $25,000 Tesla that gets shipped ends up packing the tech needed to do meaningful autonomous driving, guess what? That is game over for everyone else. Like seriously, that is ball game. Pack it up, hit the showers, go home. Tesla has won. So we'll see what happens. But the dojo piece of it is, as you heard there, not a sure thing. Not a sure thing, but they've got contingency plans. You know, NVIDIA stuff definitely works. So they've got that if the dojo situation doesn't pan out how they hope. But let's go dojo. Let's go Tesla. I know the stock took a huge dive after this earnings call, but me, I'm as bullish as ever on this company after this earnings call. I love all of the exciting products coming up, very much including the Cybertruck that is ramping up right now. I hope all of you enjoyed this highlights package and analysis of the Q4 2023 earnings call, but the podcast isn't over yet. Stick with me. Coming up in just a moment, I'm going to tell you about my first up-close and personal experience with the new Model 3. Hi, this is Franz von Holzhausen, and you're listening to Ride the Lightning with Ryan McCaffrey, the Tesla unofficial podcast. Okay, so I knew that the Burlingame Tesla showroom and service center had the new Model 3 available for test drive, and I was in the area for an appointment today. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to stop in and see if they have it. They did, and uh, in fact, it was actually out on a test drive, but I asked a sales associate, and they said, oh, it should be back any minute now, and sure enough, it was. So I just I'd sat there for a couple minutes, and then it rolled up, and then I got to spend some time with it. Now, I purposely, purposely didn't drive it. I did not want to because I want to wait for the new Model 3 performance. Then I absolutely want to drive that car so that I can do an apples-to-apples comparison between it and my car, the first-generation Model 3 performance. But just general impressions of the car that, you know, not driving it, uh, from I did, you know, I walked around it, checked it out, and then I got to sit in it too, uh, which was nice of the Tesla people. The, the guy was very nice. He was like, yep, take your time, no problem. And let me know if you want to take it out for a drive. And so I will say the softer touch materials in the interior, and I, I, will, I will specifically call out a spot that I don't think I've seen anyone else call out. And those of you with Model 3s, particularly the earlier ones, because I, I don't think... They ever rectified this, but this is definitely a thing in the in the older Model 3s. There is a softer touch material on the underside of the dashboard. And uh, 
what the reason that I call that out specifically is because on my car, and I've heard this from plenty of other folks, there have been phone calls about this. I've given recommendations for a, a detailing product that helps cover this up. And that is if you even so much as look at the glove box area wrong, it scuffs and it just leaves. And it's not like you don't have to drag a shoe across. It's just like it scuffs so annoyingly easily. And that now should not happen anymore on the Highland. So that's a that's a nice plus right off the bat that I again, I haven't seen anybody else mention, but that that one definitely I noticed. Um, something I have heard others mention and, and I completely echo is that the doors absolutely close with a more satisfying thunk to them. By the way, I did post some pictures and uh, as part of that, a short little like seven second video of me closing the door just so you can hear the sound. If you have a Model 3 now, you, you know, you'll know what the sound sounds like on your car and you can hear it on the Highland. So my, my Instagram, if you're, if you're interested, is DMC underscore Ryan. Uh, I will say the, the gray fabric trim, like decorative piece on top of the dashboard that's replacing the wood trim on the, uh, on the black interior Model 3s and the ceramic white piece on, on the white interior old Model 3s. I am completely indifferent on it. Yes, I, I touched it. It feels just like fabric. It looks fine. I just, I don't think it's any better or any worse than, than what the old Model 3s had. It, it's just different. It's fine. It's totally fine. So that was one I was nonplussed by. I, I, I had much stronger feelings uh, for the positive, positive feelings about the seats. They feel great. And I, uh, even though it was only like 60 degrees outside, I turned on the cooling function, the vent, you know, the vent function on the seats. And oh, that's, that, that was nice. Th- that, I have to say, just sitting in the interior... Again, not not driving it, but sitting in the interior, the ventilated seats might be the single best upgrade of of the Highland interior versus the old Model Three interior. That that might be the num- number one on the list of interior improvements for me. As for the accent lighting, you know that RGB light that you can go into the screen and ch- change to any color you want. Eh, again, kind of nonplussed by it, although I'll caveat that by saying it was broad daylight at night. I'm sure it's much cooler looking like it's it probably really kind of uh, just not literally light. I don't want to see that make the dumb pun, but it probably spices up the cabin in a fun way at night uh, a good bit. But you know, during the day, it's just kind of there. Uh, I noticed that the second row middle seat got a mini headrest, which the old car, the old Model 3 doesn't have. And another thing that I just hadn't noticed in other Highland photos or videos. Um, I know that lots of people hate the the stalks, the fact that they've been deleted. And again, haven't driven the, the car yet, haven't spent a ton of time with it to really uh, to really get any sort of real impression of, of whether or not that stinks or is fine. But what I can say 
is that I did press them. They are now buttons. Like they they have a an analog button push and click to them, which I do think is an improvement over the haptic force feedback, not actual buttons that the new Model S and Model X yokes and wheels had up until the brand new cars just coming out right now that have the mechanical horn in the middle for S and X and have the, that I, that I presume have the same like actual button uh, turn, turn signal buttons on there. So at least the, the tactile part of it is, is good on, uh, on those turn signal buttons. And then I think the last thing I'll say about the interior again, uh, well, I guess I'll comment on the exterior in a second too, but uh, the, the interior, they took the, the rubber grippy pieces out of the, the door panel cubbies. And instead they've just got one, you know, it's the continuous piece of, of carpeting that sort of spills over and, and fills the, the, uh, that, that door panel cubby. So once again, Tesla has deleted a part. There's no rubber, you know, uh, cubby bottom of the cubby thing that you can actually, you know, grab onto and pull out if you wanted to. And that carpet that's in there, I touched it. It is certainly, it's softer to the touch, However, I will say with that spot specifically, if you were to have a drink in there and if anything besides water were to spill, that would get annoying to clean up. So that's maybe the one potential downside uh, on that part of it. And then, you know, as for the outside of the car, like actually, because we know it's being with a car in real life versus just looking at pictures and videos on a screen, it's, it's a different thing. And I have to say that being in front of it in real life, it still really felt a lot like visually every, the whole sense of it was still very much model three. Like it didn't, it didn't feel as different as I thought it would. And and again, this isn't a complaint. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I was just, it just kind of felt like, Oh yeah, the front end's just a little different, different headlights. And then the back end was like, okay, yeah, you know, the taillights are similar style, but but a you know refreshed look. And then from the side, the car is exactly the same. I mean, the wheels are different, uh, di- you know, different design. But yeah, so it's it's a much more similar car than I was maybe thinking it would. Again, I've watched a million videos and seen a million pictures, and I guess maybe I was a little surprised at how just similar to a model three, <laughs> similar to my own car that it felt. Now, in fairness, I didn't, ha- I wasn't able to park my car right next to it. And there, there was a model Y parked next to it. Like I couldn't do a, there wasn't like a, a comparison just to do right, you know, side by side, but it still just very much felt again, especially the side of the car. If you're not looking at the front, if you're not looking at the back, it's the same car. So, you know, take that however you want to take it, good or bad. I don't intend it to be a, a compliment or a, a criticism. It just It's just an observation. But uh, I'm really, as I said earlier at the top of the podcast, really super looking forward to the performance version, especially if it is, in fact, going to look a little different than the, the, base, the base Highland and the, and the long-range dual-motor Highland. So that 
should hopefully be coming along pretty soon. Pro tip of the week time, here's Paul in Richmond, Virginia. Hey Ryan, Paul from Richmond, Virginia. Long time listener, first time calling in and I have a pro tip for you. I uh, had been surfing around in some forums trying to figure out what I'd been doing wrong in the text message feature on my Model 3 because every time I would misspeak during a text message and I wanted to redo it, I would try to double tap the screen and it would just send the message anyway and uh, would be pretty frustrating and people got some pretty weird messages. So uh, I was looking around to see what I was doing wrong and apparently the text message feature is not only operational from the screen but also from the right scroll wheel. So uh, what you do there is just double tap the scroll wheel twice and you will consistently be able to redo uh, the text message that you're trying to dictate um, and you will avoid some embarrassment. So hopefully there's someone else out there uh, for whom this will be helpful and uh, I look forward to you uh, uh, listening to the podcast again next week and uh, have a great day. Thank you, Paul. I am definitely happy to put this out there for folks who may have been running into the same frustration that you did. I will say, I do think that the voice texting works pretty well for the most part, but you're absolutely right that it sometimes gets it wrong, or I misspeak too, so this is a great reminder. Good pro tip. Cheers to you, Paul. And if anybody else out there has a good pro tip of the week that you'd like to share with me and your fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts, you can send it in to the Ride the Lightning hotline, which, uh, as usual with the earnings calls, I did not have time for. I'm already at an hour and 40 minutes here on this podcast, trying to be respectful of your time. Uh, I should hopefully be getting back to the Ride the Lightning hotline next week. And so I'll say, if you have a pro tip, or if you just want to call in, let me give you the quick call-in instructions here. There are two easy ways to call in. However you decide to call in, please try to keep your call to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many people each week as possible. And the two easy ways to call in are to use your voice uh, recording software on your smartphone. That's easy. Just record it right on there. And then email the file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can take that same 90 second or less question and call in and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. The number to do that is toll-free, dial at any time you like, 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. Before I get out of here, let me, as usual, mention some friends of the podcast that can hopefully be of use to you sooner or later. Uh, I'll start with abstractocean.com. They've got a ton of great products, ton of great aftermarket accessories for all four Teslas and probably soon to be the Cybertruck. In fact, I'm just going to pop on there right now. Do they have any Cybertruck stuff yet? They do. There's a Cybertruck tab on here. There's also a Rivian R1T and R1S tab. That's cool. like to see that. So for the Cybertruck, if you're curious... There's uh, puddle lights. You can get the plaid logo as a puddle light. There is, let's see here, a threaded lug nut guide, mobile wall connector. So kind of, I guess, in fairness, pretty general, just general stuff that's not specific to the Cybertruck at this point. Other than, oh, okay, here's, and it's already sold out. Uh, it's a pair of, it's puddle lights that does the Cybertruck graffiti logo, you know, flashes that down onto the ground, uh, and or 
the Cyber Beast, the three-headed dog, the Cerberus logo for the Cyber Beast. So that's pretty cool. And they've anyway, they've got S3XY, Cybertruck, Rivian as well. Check them out, abstractocean.com. Whatever products you end up liking and putting into your online shopping cart, when you get to checkout, use the coupon code RTLPODCAST. That's all one word, no spaces, RTLPODCAST. Use that coupon code to get 15% off of your first order. The Snap Plate and the new Snap Plate Plus, that is the front license plate bracket that I recommend if you either want or are legally required to have a front license plate on your Tesla. It is a nice, clean, minimalist design that goes on securely and easily, but will also come off easily with tools if you want to take it off, either if you're detailing your Tesla, if you're going to be at a, you know, cars and coffee, car show, something like that, whatever the case may be. Uh, Don't use the one that Tesla gives you, which sticks to the front of your Tesla with automotive tape, so that if you ever want to take it off, it will leave behind, behind a very unpleasant residue of tape. Get the Snap Plate or the new Stronger Snap Plate Plus at everyamp.com slash RTL and use the coupon code RTL. Budgetsafesolar.com. Keep them on your short list if you're considering solar for your home or business. They now also offer home battery storage as well as solar panels. So you can get the entire system all set to go. If you do end up proceeding with a solar installation on that, I humbly ask that you use the referral code RTL. I'm, uh, I'm coming up again. I'm, I'm actually now, I guess I'm about two weeks away from one, the one year anniversary of my budget safe solar system being online and active. So coming right up on that nice anniversary. Immaculate Reflections, irdetailing.com. There's a nice discount for any Ride the Lightning listener that books in any detailing service there, whether that's ceramic coating or paint protection film for some or all of the car or paint correction or two of those or all of those, whatever you want to do, Immaculate Reflections here in the greater San Francisco Bay Area will take awesome care of you and your car I'm also pleased to to report that uh, the owner who just got his Model Y, Jeff, my friend Jeff, he is loving his Model Y and he was able to sell his Chevy Bolt that he was replacing with that Model Y. So uh, congrats to Jeff on both that sale and on getting that new Model Y. Welcome to the family officially, Jeff. Awesome stuff. So again, you got to get to Immaculate Reflections if you are in or going to be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area with your Tesla or any car of yours that you super care about. All right. Uh, After that, let me mention the Patreon. I mentioned it near the top of the show, but one more time, patreon.com slash Podcast. That is where you can find my Patreon page, and that is where you can go to support my efforts here with Ride the Lightning. It's, of course, totally voluntary. The podcast has always been free for the past eight-plus years, and it will always be free, but it is listener-supported. I cannot reasonably keep doing this without your support, and I am thrilled to continue doing it, and I am so grateful for your support. So... 
If the time has come where you think, you know what? Yes, Ryan, the time has come. I'm going to support you on Patreon. You can support for just five bucks a month. I mean, five bucks a month, what's that? Like not even a coffee at Starbucks at this point? Five bucks a month, and that'll get you early access to each week's podcast as a thank you. If you do jump up to that $10 per month tier, that most popular tier, you will not only get that early access, but you'll get access to every new lightning round bonus mini episode as I post them each week, as well as the entire archive of them, which as I mentioned earlier is now 80. There are a lot of them in there. So head on over to my Patreon page if any of this sounds good, which again is found at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. Follow or subscribe to Ride the Lightning on any of your favorite podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, which is now available in your Tesla. I'm also on Google Podcasts. I'm on TuneIn, Spotify, as well as YouTube Podcasts. If you do want to find me on YouTube, it's best to just search Ride the Lightning Tesla, and you should find my channel very easily. You can subscribe to it, which again is all doesn't cost you anything. It's just a way to easily follow along with the shows. If if YouTube is the way you prefer to listen, if you've got a tab open during your workday or what have you, and that's the way you want to go, go for it. Uh, referral code. If you need one to get that three free months of FSD, the car must be ordered. Your order must be placed using the referral link or else you're not going to be able to get that three free months of FSD. So if you need one, feel free to use mine. Just type in ts.la slash Ryan73014 into a browser on your desktop or mobile phone. Hit enter or return, whatever it's called on your device, and that will take you to a landing page. You can then choose an inventory car or a custom order. Go through with that purchase and then you will get that three free months of FSD upon delivery. You can follow me on X and or Instagram. I have the same username on both, and that username is DMC underscore Ryan. You can email me anytime as well. That email address is teslapodcast at gmail.com. And before I go, of course, I want to say hello and thank you to the Plaid Maximum Plaid and Roadster in Space tier backers. I will start with the grandfathered in Plaid level supporters. The Plaid tier is no more, but these folks kindly continue to pledge at that Plaid level. So I'll continue to give them all the perks and benefits that they should get. Thank you very much to George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, the Tesla Owners Club of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peake, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia Family, Aaron Altshul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Ish, not Elon Musk, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado. Next up, a thank you going out to the Maximum Plaid backers. They are Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from New York City, Darren Nickel, 
Kaz Barnes, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Watley, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Corey O'Donnell, Aaron, John Cody, Joel Sapp, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, Doug Carey, James Gregory, Adam Lavoy, contact1callcenter.com, Jason Chalukas, Travis Krenzel, Bruce Otterstein, Tom Behan, Josh Pennington, Matt Kalin, John from Cream Ridge, New Jersey, Sean Tisdale, Dustin Hart, and Michael Gallo. And finally, an extra big thank you goes out to the Roadster in Space tier backers, Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Iacoveto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, Kara Weston, Robert from near Philly, and Kristen Rumble. Big thanks to all of you at all of the Patreon tiers for your generous and continued support. Again, your support is what keeps this podcast going, and for that, I do not take your support for granted. Thank you very, very much. And with that, I've got to hit the road here. I've got a, uh, I've got a dinner to go make. It's, uh, I was able to get started a little earlier today, but now my tummy's rumbling. My daughter's probably ready to eat out there as well. My wife's away for the week, so it's just, just me and the daughter and the, and the dogs. They already ate, of course. Of course, they're on a schedule, right? They, if they don't eat at the exact time, they, they start to get upset. They start to whine. So now it's time for the humans to eat as well. Thank you all so much for tuning in for this extra long episode as the quarterly earnings call episodes often are. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your attention. Thanks so much for taking the time. Happy electric motoring, my friends, and I will see you back here next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make, it's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.